the three Bible readings uh, I have today. The first one is from Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. Um, then we're going to start to look at the book of Proverbs. Um, but first, we'll have a conversation, hear about a conversation that Jesus had with a man about the way to find life. So just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, or wife or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The next reading is from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And this is the introduction to the whole book. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The final reading is from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 23. And this is one of the many conversations that Father has with his children in the book of Proverbs. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. 
Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honour you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Thank you, Donna. Hello, everyone. My name's Tim, if I haven't met you. Um, I'm part of the pastoral team here at the Lakes, so it's great to be with you. Now, they've worked out through some kind of analytical um, sourcing that there's a classic song that is played on a radio station somewhere around the world every seven minutes. So I reckon there's a good chance you know this song. Let me just play it for you. Now listen to the starting lyrics. fading there and you're going to sing it weren't you yeah I reckon most people know that song Hotel California from the Eagles uh, Don Henley and Glenn Fry they wrote that song reflecting on how their life had looked one way but then over time they realized that there was a lot of illusion in what they had been chasing and so as the lyrics said they capture starting on a dark desert highway and then seeing the shimmering lights and there's a, a dazzle and an attraction, and they pull over, they come to this Hotel California. There, standing in the doorway, is a lady. What a lovely face. What a lovely place. She welcomes them to the Hotel California and takes them down the corridor. Now, every time I hear that song, 
I find it very haunting. It is a haunting song, but when I hear it, I often think of these opening chapters of Proverbs, where you have a father talking to his son, and he's at painstakingly wanting the son to see what is an illusion and to not make the wrong choices, to not go down this corridor that looks one way to begin with, only to find that he has destroyed his very life. And so the opening of the book of Proverbs, where we'll spend most of our time today, is chapters 1 to 9. You may know Proverbs as little pithy sayings that sort of capture something about living at street level in life. Well, that sort of comes later in the book, There are nine chapters of this conversation of the father talking to the son. He wants the son to see uh, what is is true versus what is fake. What is real versus what is deceptive and a lie. He wants the son to see that even though things might look like they will pay off in the short term to slow down, reflect, and factor in the long-term consequences. We're going to tour around chapters 1 to 9 a little bit, so I'll open it up. Here's a a little bit of the steps that we'll make. The first movement is we're going to look at, we're going to spend some time just feeling the Father's push to get wisdom. And let me say too, that this, this ultimately, even though we're stepping into the shoes of this conversation between a father and a son, this is God, our Heavenly Father, actually imploring all of us as His children to get wisdom. So it's important that we hear that urgency. So we'll look at that. And then next, uh, we'll look at how to get wisdom. If it's so important, how do you actually get it? And then lastly, which we won't, be, we won't need to spend much time on this because I think it'll start to build and we'll get it by the end, but we'll just pull it together and, and actually pin down what exactly is wisdom. So first up, um, open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Um, that's where we sort of put a pin in, in the one of the, in sort of in the middle of these conversations. Uh, first up, let's just notice how the Father is pleading, pleading with his son about the urgency of gaining wisdom and holding on to it. So, verse 1, listen, pay attention, keeps going on, do not forsake my teaching. Verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget Turn away, do not forsake, verse 7, get wisdom, get understanding. Verse 11, I instruct you in the way of wisdom. Verse 13, hold on to it, do not let it go, guard it well. He is urging and pleading and sustains this, not just in this chapter, but throughout all the conversations towards his son to get wisdom. Why? Well, the father says things that show because the stakes are so high. 
ultimately we are talking about life and death. So come back to the start of chapter 4 and just scrolling through, uh, you come down to verse 4. He says, keep my commandments and you will live. Verse 6, because wisdom will protect you. Verse 8, that is where exaltation and honour will come from. Verse 11, it will lead you on the straight paths. Uh, Your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Again, in verse 13, it is your life. And if you come towards the end, verse 22, um, the words of the Father to His Son, this wisdom, they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. The stakes are so high. The Father wants His Son to actually have life, to have prosperity, to have peace. And as you go through these conversations and even the Proverbs, you see that the Father will talk about um, observing how certain actions lead to certain outcomes. He wants to impart to His Son that if you do this, then see that this will happen. If you do these kind of things, these good things will happen. If you do these kind of things, then pain and destruction await you. Come over to chapter 3. Now, you've got to stay with me and not be a sluggard, as the Proverbs would say. I know that we're moving around the Bible a bit, but let your fingers do the walking. Come over to chapter 3. The first couple of verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Now, often when we talk about life as Christians, we often, our mind tends to just jump to heaven, you know, ultimately, um, that kind of life. But the father, when he talks to his son, life is much more broader for him. It's kind of on a spectrum. It starts now, but then it also reaches over into eternity. The father isn't just saying to the son, hey, um, just worry about the end day. He wants the son to find prosperity, peace, life, a better life now, to make the most. Even, even in a fallen world where there is suffering, there's sin, there's, um, uh, not everything always goes the right way, he still believes that under God, you can observe patterns and he wants his son to observe those so that this life, even this life, will be the best life that he can have in this life. And so many of the Proverbs actually draw out how certain actions lead to different consequences. And over the next coming weeks, we'll look at all sorts of Proverbs. But you'll, you'll see as you go through, if you were to read through the, the chapters from chapter 10 onwards, you see there's all sorts of advice for just living in this life. Little things, little observations such as, you know what, if you're yelling and you live very close to a neighbour and you share a fence line, if you're yelling first thing in the morning, that neighbour isn't going to like you. And so you might want to start thinking about that and just how the different consequences could unfold from that. Um, There's lots of uh, advice on, you know what, if you talk too much in a conversation and not listen, then you'll probably find yourself without many friends. Um, Both because you just talk too much, but two, you'll probably end up saying stuff that you will regret and they won't really like hanging around you. 
There's lots of advice on, well, on relationship skills. Simple things, like if you go behind someone's back and you gossip, they find out that's going to really destroy the relationship. If you lie in your relationship, that's going to destroy the relationship. So there's relationship skills, there's business skills, the, the art of a deal is dealt with, um, the, the foolishness of taking a bribe, the foolishness of having unjust scales or unbalanced scales, all this advice, because if you do these things, most likely the consequences will be good or bad based on whether it's a good or bad action up front. And so the father wants the son to slow down enough that he plans his life, even the day in front of him, plans his relationships where he is thinking reflectively about his consequences, to attack life planning. Now, I've had a number of different people tell me, just keep a lid on it today, let's talk about the things of God, because there was, a, there was an elite AFL team that did really well yesterday. But there's so many things in life, you can look at a football team and how just the planning sets you up for a, a more likely outcome. Um, observe life, whether you're watching an ant and how he collects his stuff and saves it up ready for uh, a later season, or whether you watch a football team and, you, and they work the, the pre-season hard so that they can have a crack at glory. But not only is the immediate future in view, the father will talk about life sort of scaling up to where you need to be thinking about the consequences even past death. That ultimately, for life, for this father, under God, involves relationship with God. So even as you're thinking about maybe mere actions first off, this cause leads to this effect, the father implores that the son recognises that this character, this kind of relationship with God, whether you accept him or not, will lead to certain consequences into eternity. So you see in chapter 3, verse 4, how it starts to scale up that if you follow the way of wisdom, then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. And if you keep going through that chapter, there's lots of talk about living um, under the eyes of the Lord, under the fear of the Lord, um, to recognise that the wisdom that God gives is like a tree of life. Very potent imagery that, recall, that calls upon the whole biblical story of, ultimately, life against death is found with God, the tree of life. Now, I want to take a moment to comment directly to the young people amongst us. I know we have a number of teenagers that are stopping in the church service um, today because of the holidays. Did you pick up that this is a father talking to a son? Um, now, this is just the way this conversation is being told. We're stepping into the shoes of a father and son, but it can be parents and their children. You could be a son or a daughter... Um, it all applies the same. But the father, as he talks to his son, and as God puts this for us, for all of us to listen, 
there is this there is this focus on young people. There's this focus on young people that they in particular need to be aware in their young life of the need to acquire wisdom and to acquire it early. So come back over to chapter 1, which Donna read. Um, That was where the introduction was given to, to give this promise of all the benefits of wisdom. But in verse 4, it says that wisdom will give prudence to those who are simple. Now, I'm not sure how you hear that word simple, but it's the, it's the idea of being naive. And maybe even naive is a bit of a, a negative word that we have. But uh, in the wisdom literature, naivety is not necessarily, necessarily foolishness. Naivety is to be inexperienced. And that's, that's just the truth of being young. Now, um, if you are young, it might be hard to hear that. I remember I hated my parents telling me that they knew better than me, that they had travelled this road before. Um, and particularly if they came back and said, I told you so. so. It's very hard to listen to that. But I implore you, if you are young, to, to hear God. God is levelling with us that we start naive and if we can if we can be humble enough to accept that starting point and sit before God sit before his word where we are willing to as a naive young person to acquire the wisdom that he wants to give us then you are going to have a better life that is the promise this is for the simple the naive, the young, to gain wisdom. But it doesn't just stop there. As you'll see in verse 5, it says that even for any of us that might think that we are wise or wiser, then let the wise listen and add to their learning. Um, Now, seriously, um, young people, teenagers, young adults, um, it's easy to dismiss this. The father, in, this, in his first conversation with his son, raises the temptation to just simply dismiss that. That's, that's part of being young. You know, really? Do they know better? They don't know my situation. They don't know what it's like to be me. So the father opens by saying in verse 8, let's read some of that. Chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland of grace around your head and a chain to adore your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us, we will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life 
of those who get it. There's this great temptation, particularly, it's for all of us, but it particularly pulls hard when you're young, to go along with a group that says, with us, we will find happiness, satisfaction and life. There's this great pull, and this is quite extreme, but it makes me think of something that I came across a long time ago that C.S. Lewis wrote, and he talked about this dynamic that plagues humanity called the inner ring, and that is that we all stand, I think you'll have to excuse my drawing, I I drew this the other night, Um, we all stand kind of outside a group of people desiring to belong. I mean, that's a natural thing. But along with that desire to belong comes the temptation sometimes in order to be accepted by that group to compromise. And C.S. Lewis talks about how there's usually lots of little subtle compromises that it starts off with. Um, But then so many people, particularly as they get older, can reflect back and see how all these little compromises added up and they have found that they have done things that they never would have dreamt of doing. I can remember when I was younger, um, my dad was a school principal and I went to his school and so I had like identity problems. Like, I, don't, I don't want to be known as the, the school principal's son. He um, employed this young lady as a, a teacher and she happened to live in the cul-de-sac down the road from us um, and I think over the holidays as she was moving in, um, we got to know her, and I thought she was great. She was awesome. Her name was Mrs. Martin. She even looked beautiful. And so I just thought she was a wonderful teacher. And um, she spoke to us like adults, and um, she you know, hung out with us, and I think she had some cool computer games. And Anyway, I just really liked her. But I can remember being in a class with her in a, f- in a few weeks, and in order to belong to a cool group, I started to literally abuse her publicly. I would swear at her, I would um, throw stuff at her, and I can remember coming home at night thinking, I wish I didn't do that. And yet the next day, would do it again and again, and it escalated and it escalated, and, and soon I, you know, I got in a lot of trouble off my father. But here I was, one night, sitting at my kitchen table with my dad and this teacher, and she was just in tears, absolutely destroyed. And I realised what I had done. Now, I've got so many other stories like that, stuff that I wouldn't want to share publicly, um, but it's just, I'm sure all of us have these little things that just, you move and you compromise and it can add up. It might be at work, you're happy to lie a little bit. Um, Sometimes it might even be a neutral thing. It might not be a a kind of moral thing, like, am I going to lie or not? But you just give all your time in order to be accepted by a certain group that you trade out your family or you trade out um, other important things. It's a huge pull. And C.S. Lewis, such a wise man himself, he said the, the great deception is that once you get into the circle, you find that there's another circle inside and uh, forever you are being pulled to belong. And the father here wants to warn the son, such is this pull, um, 
don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. And one last um, word to the young people amongst us, teenagers and young adults. There's, there's often a saying that some, sometimes older folks might even say this in your face, oh, you can't put an old, shed on, uh, an old head on young shoulders. I think the book of Proverbs, God's word, actually argues you can. You can actually fast-track your wisdom. You can actually fast-track your maturity. You, you don't have to learn things the hard way. You can listen to people who have gone before you, your parents. You can observe the world and watch the outcomes for different people and make correct decisions. As our father says back in chapter 4 here, he says to his son, For I too was a son to my father. Then he taught me. You can fast track. You don't have to learn the hard way by listening to your parents and even more so listening to God's wisdom in his word. And now just a, a brief comment to parents amongst us. Um, did you notice that the father is present with his child? The mother is present. Um, they show up. These conversations are beautiful. This, this gives you a picture of parents walking and talking with their children. They, they haven't outsourced wisdom to tablets and TV and movies and friendship groups. They're in their life. They're walking and talking. It's, it's not sitting down for a one-off conversation. It's not sitting down and just giving a list of rules. It's being in their life in such a way that you can observe the world with them. That we can walk with um, our children and we can wonder with them. Get them to wonder about the world. Uh, I sit down with Kale often. Often we'll go and get a frozen Coke and just sit and watch people and just ask questions, not to them. And <laughs> but... You just wonder, and it's, it's wonderful with your son. You see graffiti, you talk about it. Use what comes up in front of you. Whatever is happening in the moment, use those things, walk and talk, and talk about it in light of God being creator, owner, and ruler of the world, redeeming us. Um, let us as parents also not hide the real world from our kids, Sometimes we can feel awkward. Maybe there's experiences we're embarrassed or ashamed of. This father here seems to share with his son observations he's seen and things he's learned himself. And of course there's age appropriateness that we've got to figure out, but let us be vulnerable before our kids and not hide um, the consequences that can happen, even if it can be an awkward conversation. Okay, we've spent a little bit of time there, but we will move faster through these next couple of points. So, next, how do you get wisdom? If it's so important, and it's life and death, how do you get it? Did you notice um, with some of our readings that a lot of the language kind of suggests that it's very difficult to get wisdom? It's hard, it's elusive. You've got to go searching for it. You've got to find it. If you do happen to get it, you've got to hold on to it. There's great pressures. There's gravitational pulls going on. It's very, very hard to get it. 
As we read in Proverbs, though, Proverbs doesn't say it is actually hidden. On the contrary, it says that wisdom is out there, public. God is proclaiming it, both in his word and in observing the way the world works, so much so that it can be thought of a, a lady standing on the corner at a high point in the city, just yelling out, get wisdom. So it's not quite hidden, but what makes it so difficult? We'll come over to chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gates. She makes her speech. But here's one of the things she says. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke, then I'll pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, so on and so on. But there, I take us to that point. There is that um, the wisdom writers recognize that wisdom is public and it's out there to be got. But what makes it so difficult to get is our foolishness. Or another word for it could be sin. The Bible tells us a big long story of we are fools because we have traded out God. Romans chapter 1 speaks about we have become fools and darkened in our mind. That is what makes it so hard to get wisdom. Even if it smacks us in the face, wisdom can seem like foolishness to us. Um, but we are sinful and we like our sinful ways. It is very difficult to get wisdom. It's elusive. And you've got this dynamic of sin, but sort of mixed up in it, um, sin is deceitfully alluring. Sin works in such a way that it actually looks attractive. It looks promising. It looks like it will offer life. And so in our foolishness, we stumble off thinking that we are gaining life. Throughout these speeches between the father and the son, he, he actually uses a picture of two women. And they are beautiful. Both women are attractive. And a son can resonate with that. You know, it's natural for a son to look at women and, and say that they are beautiful. But the father very helpfully uses this as an image to say, you have to look past the superficial beauty to find out which one is deceptive and which one actually is true beauty. And so it builds up into this metaphor where the father is imploring his son to fall in love with the true beautiful woman. To not be so stupid and accidentally go down and fall in love with a wayward woman. So come with me to chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Um, here's a father walking with his son and... Uh, you can almost picture that they're, they're kind of watching this take place. Verse 7, 7, verse 7. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house, at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. 
She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares. At every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him and with a brazen face said, Today I have fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Goes on to talk about the coloured linens from Egypt, the perfume, um, and just the alluring attractiveness of what this young fella uh, is heading towards. So it looks, looks alluring, it looks promising, it looks like this is where satisfaction in life will be. But then the father makes a comment at verse 22, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. And further down, verse 26, many other victims she has brought down, her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Sounds like a dark desert highway, doesn't it? Um, and sin is so deceptive that uh, we as sinners often go, really, that's not life? So when, when people come to us and say, get wisdom, whatever else, get wisdom at all costs, even if it means trading everything that you've got, actually that is the way to life, we go, really? It doesn't look like it. This actually looks like life. But the father is saying, no, even if you get to a crunch point where it looks like you have to trade all your life in order to get wisdom, it is worth it. The father wants the son to see past the immediate gratification, the immediate illusion to see the consequences. I have a picture here of um, Ship of Fools by Hieronymus Bosch. So he drew this or painted this uh, in the 15th century. It's a picture of fools, but they are enjoying life, um, food, pleasures. Um, I, I probably should have zoomed it in more, but maybe you could look it up and zoom in. It's got these profound images in it. One guy is climbing up the mast to dangling carrots. Um, people are paddling with a, a flagon. Um, you can see that they're kind of not aware of what they're doing, even though they think that they've got life. Well done, whoever did that. Good work. Um, now, can you zoom out? Because I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, up the top, there's this mast and a skull in it, and it's a profound picture because such is foolishness that they do not realise that they are actually being driven along by death or or their destination is death itself. Our Lord Jesus, it reminds me when, when you think of um, get wisdom, whatever else, get wisdom, reminds me of our Lord Jesus who, who, who once said to his disciples, whoever wants to meet, be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So wisdom is elusive, 
Um, we are foolish in our sin. Sin is deceitful and it looks like life. And some, so much so that sometimes we just can't reckon with that equation. Really, we're going to trade out this good stuff, this picture of life in order to gain life. So how do you get it? Well, the gospel shows us that ultimately, wisdom is a gift from God. In order to be able to see that this equation that Jesus says makes sense, you have to see that there is God as the ultimate reality. God is running this world and he will deal with sin and atone for sin, which he does through the Lord Jesus, and pours out his spirit, which gives us wisdom to accept that these things are true. And so we then come to these kind of passages in Proverbs and we can listen to them and, and see the ultimate consequences, both for now and also eternally. Ultimately, wisdom is something that is given by the all-wise God. Um, that story that Donna read spoke of a, a young man who couldn't trade all, of he, all that he had in order to follow the Lord Jesus. Um, the disciples, you know, well, even Jesus seemed to say that you can't do that trade. It's impossible unless God does something. It is possible with God. Okay, lastly, coming back, so what is wisdom? Well, I don't need to say much here because as we've travelled through, what we've seen that wisdom is a God-given ability to see through the illusions that come towards us, promising life but are actually death. God-given wisdom to see through the illusions to truly see how the world works at the ultimate level, to truly see the consequences of everything under God and to place ourselves under all that God has revealed. Um, that wisdom that says there is forgiveness and hope for life with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said so often, he who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. So to finish, I'm going to play a little bit more of Hotel California, right? You know, cut to the point in the song where the illusion is shattered. Listen to the words, and then as the music trails on, I want to read the final, some of the final part of Proverbs chapter 9, um, and just let the song and Proverbs mesh these things together for us as we resolve to live a life of wisdom. So here we go. Mirrors on the ceiling, they pick champagne on ice, she said. Chambers they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their stealing eyes, but they just can't kill the beast. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find a passage back to the place I was before. Relax, such a madman. We are going to 
Those images of they gather for the feast, but they just can't kill the beast. He realizes the chamber he's in and he wants to flee. You can check out any time, but you can never leave. Now, these guys are probably just talking about the glitz of Hollywood and drugs and all that sort of stuff, but God says there's eternal stakes. So one lady yells out, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up at seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. But there is this other lady, Folly. She's an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She too sits at the door of her house on the seat of the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our Father, showing us the consequences of our actions, of our character. Thank you for showing what truly is and what truly happens. Protect us, Lord. Uh, we know we first have that through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And now by your Holy Spirit, as we seek to live each day, now and into eternity, may the all-wise God, who has all power and glory, be with us, giving us wisdom forever and ever. Amen.